right along. Good morning again. Come on, good morning again. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I heard about this game show. I really, this is, this is actually true. Uh, game show, a contestant was doing really well. Um, he'd been smoking it the whole week long, and now he was up to the million-dollar question, one of the best players that this game show had ever seen. The host reminded him, you know, you hadn't got a question wrong all week, and now you're up to the million-dollar question. He said, are you ready? The contestant's name is Bob, right? Contestant Bob said, yes, I'm ready. Hit me. Give it to me. So the host says, okay, you've chosen American history as your million-dollar question, and it's actually a two-part question. Now, Bob had been playing all week, so Bob knows that it's a two-part question, and you can either get the first part of the question or the second part of the question. What do you want first? And the host is asking him this, and Bob said, I don't know, give me the, the second part of the question first. And the host said, all right, tears the envelope open. He said, American history, million-dollar question. The second part of the question is, in what year did that happen? Bum, 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 poor Bob, right? That's a little, little illustration. We can take this in several different directions, right? But what I want us to focus on this morning are the decisions we make in our lives, right? They might not seem real significant at the time, right? Bob, you want the first or second part? Ah, whatever, right? But in the case of poor Bob, you know that he didn't have enough information to make that decision. That's where we are sometimes. Maybe um, we don't understand the depth of the question or in, like in Bob's case, the importance of the question, so before we leave this morning, we're going to talk about the most important question that comes up in our lives or that we'll ever face. And we're going to talk about what our response is to that, what our response should be to that. Before we dig into that, though, I just want to take a moment and review uh, where we are, how we got to this date, how we got to this moment here. Believe it or not, uh, for you people who are regulars here, we're actually on the third leg of a chain of sermon series. Um, several months back, about six months back, I started this whole idea where we are now on uh, this chain of thinking on what we called at the time the names of God or something where Jared said, what's in a name, right? So that's, that was the names of God. So we studied who God says he is in the Bible, right? We went through the names of God and we, we kind of went through them and said, what does that name actually mean? Well, this one means that he's our creator. This one means that he's our provider. This one means that he's our healer, right? So we went through those and we understood who he was. Right? Because uh, we need to know that because when God commands us, when he says to us things like, call to me, like Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you. So we got to know who it is that we're calling to or what we're calling on. So that's what God says that in the Bible. He, he uses the Bible to, to dictate, to, to demonstrate who he is, to define who he is. Because uh, then you look at it in, like in Romans uh, 10, 14, it says, it asks some good questions, you know. How are they going to call on one they have not believed, right? How are we going to call on somebody that we don't know, right? How can we call on someone who we've not heard of? Well, God says, I'm going to take care of that, right? The rest of that verse talks about pastors taking care of it, but we don't make this stuff up. We listen to what God says, and then we just kind of share it out. So that's what the whole deal is. So that's what God uses the Bible for, you know. It talks about who he is. First uh, Corinthians says that God reveals himself to us. Right? He reveals something that's already there. He just takes the veil away, just takes the cover away from it so that we can see it. Um, that reveal means to make known. God uses the Bible to make himself known to us, and it's a big deal, so that we'll know who he is, so that we'll trust his character, and then call on him. Right? See how that fits together, right? So the first step is knowing who God is, and God does that in the Bible. That's why we started this whole series, or this the series of series back there, about hearing his promises. 
So the sequence events that the sequence of events that we're on right now, traveling through, starts with the name of God. The second rung on the ladder, the second idea that we need to be talking about is how we spent our summer. The summer series was on identity, right? And identity, we might think of a lot of different things, but our working definition of that, of, of identity, is what you believe about yourself and who you believe you are. Because what you believe about yourself is going to dictate your actions, right? Alex believes he's a good football player, so he runs for 429 yards, right? We, our actions are based on our beliefs, Right? So when we believe, when we understand, we, you know, our identity um, lies with, with Christ and not of this world. Too often we say when we identify ourselves, we identify ourselves by things of this world. Well, God says don't do that. Right? The things of the world change, shifting sands. Right? He says put your identity in me. Put your trust in me. So that's what our response should be. Right? That's where our identity should lie, with, with him. With our identity uh, in, in the solid place, it's not going to change. And God says also about your identity, he says that he designed the earth perfectly for us to inhabit the earth, right? And we start studying the earth, we know that it's a perfect distance from the sun, we know it's on the perfect axis, we know that our atmosphere is perfect, you know, all these things are, you know, not by chance, right? These things happen. The earth is a flawless design to support our life. Well, do you know that you are a flawless design to support God? God said, I created you so that I could dwell within you. Right? I could dwell in you, I could thrive in you, I could exist in you, I could flourish in you. And you might not think it, and it might not look like, well, we are flawless designs right? for God to inhabit. This earth is perfect for us to inhabit, we are perfect for God to inhabit. And Paul, when he's talking about this in Philippians, says, or do you not know? Do you not realize all this stuff? Is, you know, we have to tell you it again? So that's where we are. We, we talked about the names of God. God defines himself. We talked about our identity, how our identity is a response to who God is. And it brings us up to our current series that we're on right now, about the third or fourth week of it, that we simply titled Kingdom. Over the fa- uh, past several weeks, we've looked into two main themes, the two main ideas that flow through the pages of the Bible. And this series, and today especially, is meant to give us some perspective on the Bible. Right, give us some, per, some perspective on the Bible. Um, this series um, is meant to, uh, to, to teach us what the Bible is really talking about. Because all too often, um, we as Christians get caught up in the minutia of the Bible. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about the Apostles' Creed, you know, we get these scribbly, dibbly details and we start bickering and arguing about kind of insignificant things, but we got these big rocks in place, right? So we got to think about the big rocks in place because sometimes the details, we can get lost in what's going on there. There's nothing inherently wrong with studying the details of the Bible. We talk about different words, we talk about how God says these different things and put more skin on them so we can understand it a little bit better. But we have to step back and look at the big picture as well. Because if we studied the earth, we just studied the minutia of the earth, we would study grains of sand, we'd study blades of grass, we'd study insects. But until you get off the surface of the earth and you back out, you don't get a picture like this, right? To see our planet and this beautiful glory and for all it really is, right? Both perspectives are correct, the minutia and this macro look at it. But, you know, reality has got to live out someplace in the middle of all of that. And that's where we want to get here today. Sometimes we can get a closer look or a better understanding when we take a closer look. Uh, Like when we looked at the names of God, we dissected the names of God so that he could define himself for us, so that we can understand him better, so that we can get into that a little bit better. So that helps us gain some perspective. But again, sometimes we've got to take a step back and look at a bigger perspective, which is what we're doing right now. Bigger perspective, bigger understanding. 
take a step back and look at the Bible for the big picture that it is. And like I said, there's two main themes, there's two main ideas that keep flowing through the Bible that we talk about, right? And um, you probably can stop me by now because I've said this the last three weeks, I think, in a row right now. Yes, in our youth group, we talk about God's commands and God's promises, right? And a command is in Jeremiah 33.3 that says, call to me. We don't look at that as a command, but that's a command. That's not a, just a general, you know, good suggestion. No, God says, do these things, right? When you talk about God's commands, we say, all oh, the do nots and stuff. No, God is giving us all of these things to do so that we can grow in our relationship with him. So God's commands and God's promises. Now, for this series, we're kind of rebranding those two themes, right? Putting them a little churchier names on them. We're calling it covenant and kingdom, right? God's covenant and God's kingdom. Those are the two main themes that are going through the Bible, God's covenant. Okay, so God's covenant are those guarantees. This was a covenant over here. I probably said that word four times while we were over here, right? That's a deal. That's a contract that we're making with each other. God says, I will, and we say we will, right? That's a deal. That's a covenant. But God's covenant promises are usually a one-way thing. God says, no matter what, I am going to do these things for you, right? No matter what, Christ died for you. No matter what, I have opened the kingdom of heaven to you. No matter what, I have given you every spiritual blessing under the heavenly realms, right? That's covenant. So the way the Bible defines and describes that word covenant, when you hear me say covenant, I want you to think of relationship, right? That covenant relationship with God. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with others. We can talk about other believers, we can talk about other non-believers or the world, but we'll talk about that at a different time. But that's really what covenant is really all about. It's about relationships. So now, now that we're going to, uh, you know, be able to recognize that, when, when we read these things, when we read, call to me, I will answer you, you know, we should read that in a different way. We should get different feelings from it. We should get different ideas from it. We should recognize that God is revealing himself to us so that we can grow in that relationship with him. Because that's why he created you, to have a relationship with him, right? And so that he could dwell within you. Right? That's why he created us. That's why he created this world, so we could dwell in this world. That's why he created us, so he could dwell within us, that relationship. So now as we step back and get the big picture, the second idea, covenant is the first one, and where we are smack dab in the middle of is this kingdom right now, is the second idea, the second main theme that goes through the Bible. Now, if covenant is about relationship, kingdom is about our responsibility in that covenant relationship. Kingdom is our responsibility. How do we fit into God's kingdom? What are we supposed to do? How do we further God's kingdom? What does God literally expect from us and want from us? Again, one of the main points I want to take out of this series is the idea that the kingdom in the Bible, the idea of kingdom in the Bible can be overlooked. It can be buried and lost among doctrines, teachings, and other kind of scriptures. That's why I said we got to get out of the nitty-gritty, and we got to take a big look at this. we got to take back a look back at the Bible and see it for that big, beautiful globe that it is. But like I said last week, or a couple weeks ago, I, the idea of kingdom is not lost in Jesus' words, right? We can get lost in it because we can get caught up in the details, but it doesn't get lost in Jesus' words. I gave you some statistics a couple weeks ago or in the past uh, that the word kingdom comes up over 160 times in the New Testament. Most of those are in the first three Gospels. Most of those times, the word kingdom comes out of Jesus' mouth. 
if he talks about it that much, we should really start paying attention to what he is talking about and why he's talking about it. Right? Because we see, we recognize Jesus as the return of the king. Right? For all you Lord of the Ring fans, right? The return of the king. Jesus came down to this earth to, come, he, to claim, or rather take back, what is rightfully his. Jesus came down to this earth to claim what is rightfully his. You know what that is? You. He came down to claim you back. To be part of his kingdom. So when we hear the king talk about kingdom, don't you think we should listen a little bit? Our ears should perk up. He talks about kingdom, and then he talks about his expected response from us. The king. Talking about kingdom, and then our response. Right? Or if you want to fill it out, our responsibility. What should we be doing? So check it out. Jesus lays out his purpose statement, his mission statement. If I gave a three-by-five card to all of you, and I said, why did Jesus come to earth? I guarantee all of you would miss Luke 4, 43 until you hear it from me. Until you hear me plagiarize it. It's not from me. Luke 4, 43, Jesus lays down his mission statement. Jesus said to them, we'll talk about the them in a second. I must preach about God's kingdom to other towns too. This is why I was sent. So a show of hands, how many of you said when we lay out Jesus' purpose, why was Jesus sent, how many of you immediately thought to preach God's kingdom? He said, that's why I'm sent, to preach about God's kingdom all over the place, right? Other towns, different places, to get that word out. So again, when we should stop and really pay attention to this, right? And that should bring up some questions, shouldn't it? Jesus said, my mission statement, the reason I was sent was to preach God's kingdom. What about God's kingdom, right? Shouldn't we be asking that? What are you preaching about God's kingdom? What should we know about God's kingdom? What is the king going to tell us about his kingdom, right? So look at Mark 1.15. For example, there's a lot of examples. I just told you some numbers. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. The time has come. Those of you from the youth group, that word time is kairos. An appointed time in history. God said, there it is. While he was laying the foundation of the earth, right? He threw a dart and said, it's going right there. The time has come, Jesus said. First of all, this is a really good translation. The NIRV is what this one is. So this uh, translation of turn away. Now this is it, right? Kingdom has come. Kingdom of God is near. Okay, that's covenant, right? Now kingdom, your responsibility is right there. It's right there. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. Turn away from your sins is, uh, is, is literally means to change one's mind. It's a Greek word, metaneo, right? And that's used a lot of times in the New Testament. It's used in, in some powerful places. Like, for example, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's metaneo. And that's what it says here. Turn away from your sins. Change the way you think, right? It also means a physical about face, right? We're heading in one direction. We're heading in the direction of the kingdom of the world, if you will, God says, I want you to do about face, and I want you to head for my kingdom. I want you to want the things of my kingdom, not the kingdom of this world that's going to change and is going to fail you every time. God says, I got a kingdom over here that is never going to fail you. 
that's always going to be there. That's my covenant promise to you, God says. To change one's mind, to be transformed. Change direction, not some kind of arbitrarily swerving out of the way of something. No, to really have a target in mind. To be going after something intentionally. Right? We're not running from something, we're running to something. Those are two very different things. We're not running from something, we're running to something. If you're running from something, who knows where you're going to go? You're going to run into a tree, right? But if you're running to something, you have a goal, you have a target in mind. So in one verse, we have both the response and the responsibility that God expects from us in his kingdom. And I've mentioned before that word kingdom here in verse 15. That's the Greek word uh, basilia, right? And we get a lot of English words from that. It means um, the realm over which a king rules. Usually a geographical location, certain region, or certain people, you know, group, whatever. But obviously, I shouldn't have to say, but obviously God's kingdom is a different thing, right? His is a spiritual kingdom. Isn't that what Jesus told Pilate? Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this earth. And Pilate said, oh, so you are a king. Okay, let's work with that. Right? And that's where we should be. Let's work with that. Let's talk with that. But God's kingdom is not touched with the eye or the hand or seen with the eye. It's determined by the heart. And God says, everyone who opens their heart to me will be a part of that kingdom, will be a piece of that kingdom, will partake in that kingdom. If, not, if one is not living under literally the rule of God, and I know that sounds all, you know, churchy and everything, but if not living under the rule of God and living in God's kingdom, then you're not a part of that kingdom. Right? While we're at it, real quick, let's talk about the idea of a king. Right? The idea has changed over time. King Charles of England, uh, a little more than a figurehead. Right? No offense to King Charles, but he's a little more. The prime minister of parliament run the country. They make rules, they make policy, they vote on everything. But that wasn't the case in biblical times. That wasn't the case when Jesus was talking to these people, when Jesus was talking about kingdom, when the king was talking about kingdom. That's not how it was. There was a covenant between the king and his people. Right? There was a covenant between the king and the people. Uh, king promised to be the provider, the protector, the leader, the guide for all who lived under his reign. He cared for his people, and they, in turn, pledged their undying allegiance to him. But again, I don't need to tell you that the kingdom of God is not about geography. It's not about people groups. It's not about politics. Citizenship in God's kingdom is, is given to all who submit their hearts to God. Citizenship in God's kingdom is given to all who submit their hearts to God. Even though we might not know exactly what that means, because that's kind of churchy talk too, isn't it? How do we do that? Well, you know what? We say, Lord, I want you to be in charge. Things that I've been trying so far, mm, off the rails a lot, in the ditch a lot. Why don't you take the wheel for a while and show us how it's supposed to go? But since God's kingdom is not about geography, the Jews of Jesus' day didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize that it was there. They were looking for a kingdom that would come and free them from Roman rule. And again, that brings us back to our gospel message this morning and, and four challenges that I want to leave you with. Our gospel message from Luke 17, 20 said this. Jesus said this. He's talking to the Pharisees. He said, God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you can see it. Now, I like to read into reading into things, right? 
Jesus said God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you can see it. So if we emphasize different words in that sentence, right? God's kingdom is coming. That's good news, right? God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you can see it. But not in a way that you can see it. But you know how I think he might have said this? God's kingdom is coming. He's talking to the Pharisees now, right? God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you can see it. What else do we know about God's kingdom? People didn't see it because they didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't recognize God's kingdom because they were looking for something else. They didn't recognize Jesus as king because they were looking for something else. Four challenge questions for you this morning, and Jared suggested we email these out later in the week, and I think that's a good idea. Because I, I really want to know, have you thought about your responsibility in the kingdom of God? You know, as Christians, I feel like we're consumers. Just give me those promises and just kind of skip the other stuff, right? Just get to the good part. Right? Have you thought about your responsibility in the kingdom of God? So my first challenge question for you this morning is, is this. Is God's kingdom here in a way that you can see it? Can you recognize God's kingdom here? And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, are you seeking it? He says, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Right? So it's something we can find. Number two, I said it's not about geography, so the Jews didn't recognize it. Now I'm asking you, do you recognize it? We're not looking for it in a place. We're not looking for it in a certain spot. We're just looking for it from our hearts. I had a drill sergeant ask me, are you part of the solution or part of the problem? Right? And that's really where we got to talk about this. Do you recognize it? Third one, I said the Jews were looking for freedom from Rome. I'm asking you, what are you looking to be freed from? And number four, final one, what part of your life do you need to submit to the kingdom of God? Where are you holding back? Right? This is about relationship. Right? In healthy relationships, we don't hold things back from each other. In that kingdom, we have to understand that there's a responsibility from us. God's expecting these things from us. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near you, is with you, is upon you. It's our job to recognize and respond. Amen? Amen. Okay, would you please stand with me?